Our scripture reading today comes out of 2 John, uh, verses 7 through 13. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your home or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who was chosen by God, sends their greetings. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning, MCA. What a joy and thrill it is to be together this morning worshiping the Lord. A few housekeeping things before we get into the preaching of the word. The first is a thank you and an update on my health. And so um, I injured my back last month in July and have really been laid up and struggling through a lot of back and leg pain and I'm at a point now where I have the, the go-ahead for resuming normal activities, uh, minus anything strenuous, and have responded really well to that. Um, just grateful for all God has done and trying to get stronger and better every day. Um, so I'm not on any more pain meds and just trying to be cautious and get healthier. And so um, just grateful for all God has done there. I want to issue a thank you to you as a church family for all the ways you cared for and supported and loved the Reisner family through this trial. Um, just much appreciated. The, the notes of encouragement and meals and other acts of service to, to bless us and help us through this time. And uh, so thank you. We feel very loved and we appreciate you and all you've done for us. It's wonderful to be a part of the family of God, is it not? And so we're, we're feeling that in a, in a really big way and just grateful for where we are today and as we look forward to all God has in store for us in the days ahead. So speaking of that, I do have an important announcement. We pushed this out earlier in the week, but I want to make sure our church family is, on, uh, is aware of this. But we have good news in relation to our worship ministry. So as you may know, Nick Mast, our worship leader, is, is ready to transition out of his role, ready to step down. In fact, he has two more Sundays, uh, this Sunday and then next Sunday is his last Sunday in that role. And so uh, we have a search team that's been looking for our next worship pastor, and that search team has really... Um, not <laughs> uh, had very many uh, candidates and not much movement there. And so in this 11th hour, God has provided for us. Um, so we've been walking by faith and not by sight. And so I'm happy and pleased to announce that we have an interim worship leader who will be stepping in immediately after Nick departs. So starting in the beginning of September, a man named Heath Clark will be our interim worship leader. He's a local guy, uh, Wayne County guy. He had moved away for the last couple of years, but is now back in the area. And so you will very soon have the opportunity to meet him and his family and uh, welcome him into our fellowship as he assumes the role of interim worship leader, uh, at least through the rest of this year. So at least through the rest of 2022. And we will kind of evaluate and move forward from that point. So again, God has been faithful. God has provided to God be the glory. So with that, um, I've been thinking about athletes who celebrate a little bit too early. Have you ever noticed that? You know, the, the guy who pumps the fist just to see an opponent streak by and cross the finish line ahead of him. Or th those times where they're uh, counting on the point before the point is on the board. Where they, they are uh, starting to showboat and it just comes back to bite them. 
<laughs> so what happened there? They didn't finish the play. They, they didn't stay focused. They didn't secure the point. They didn't uh, achieve the goal. They got distracted. They got overly confident. They didn't stick to the basics and to the fundamentals that they were taught even when they were a small child uh, learning that particular sport. They didn't stick to the basics. They didn't stick to the fundamentals. And they got burned. <laughs> and here we are laughing at them today. Like, look at this guy doing the shimmy while the ball doinks out of the rim behind him. Way to go, Kemba. Here's the, here's the reason I, that I show that and that I mention that this morning. is here, Here's the truth is the same thing can happen to us in our spiritual lives. The same thing can happen to us if we're not cautious. Oh, we made a commitment to Christ and we attended worship services and we used to go to Bible study on Wednesday nights when we were a teenager, but now we consider ourselves mature in the faith. So we kind of let up on growing spiritually. We kind of uh, get lax in our prayer habits and in our study of God's word. We maybe even kind of let our guard down in terms of who's influencing us and who's speaking into our lives. We, we allow non-believers to have uh, too big of a role in, in what we hear. Or, or we have a, a, a televangelist or a radio preacher that we listen to occasionally. It's like, yeah, I, I kind of like those feel-good messages I hear from this popular uh, Bible teacher. You know, I, I just really feel good when I, when I listen to his sermons. Hmm. Makes you feel good? <laughs> that sounds like more, more like a motivational TED talk with a little Bible verse sprinkled in. And do you know what happens? We drift away from Christ. We start to grow stagnant in our faith. And this is dangerous. So, there, so this is a word of warning that comes. We're going to be in 2 John today. This is a word of warning to us. This is a dangerous place to be when we grow stagnant in our faith. When we get a little too comfortable, a little too overconfident with where we're at. Number one, because we no longer have joy. We don't have that vibrant relationship, that abundant life in Christ. Jeremy preached about that a few weeks ago, that abundant life in Christ. Number two, we're more susceptible to a worldview that's not biblical, to ideas that are antithetical to the gospel, so that when we hear false teaching, it begins to sway us and have influence over us. And so we don't finish well. We drop the ball at the one-yard line. And so the encouragement we have today from the scriptures and also as a testimony from me, because I've walked through this recently, is cling to Christ. <laughs> cling to Christ. Hold fast to him. Do not stray from the truth. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. So I hope you brought your Bibles with you today. Let's open them to the book of 2 John. This letter, Phil did a message from the first six verses last week, and this morning we'll cover the rest of this little book. So, book of 2 John, not the Gospel of John chapter 2, but 2 John, where Renee read for us a few minutes ago. So, a little bit of context was there were some people that were teaching some really wrong-headed things during this time, and, and John is addressing that in these epistles. So, if we jump in right there at verse 7, we see that, that many deceivers 
who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. So this is a really big deal. And here's the thing. There's a lot that we can disagree on in the kingdom. There's a lot we can disagree on. Jesus is not one of them. Jesus is not one of the things that we can say, well, your understanding of Christ is just a little bit different than mine. Well, you say he was this, but I say he was that. No, the the person of Jesus and who he is and who the Bible says he is is not one of the things that we can just, we'll agree to disagree on. It's one of the foundational issues of our faith. We can disagree on secondary issues. But the issue at stake here is Christ. Who is he? Did he come to earth as a baby born of a virgin? And these false teachers are saying, nah, he didn't. So we see that in verse 7. He makes that clear. Here's, what are they teaching? They're, they do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. No, he, didn't re- he wasn't really born as a baby. He, didn't re- he wasn't really carried in Mary's womb. If we jump to verse 9, then we see, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. So John's really not playing nice. He's really not saying, you do you, I'll do me, I'm okay, you're okay. He's saying, if you don't get this right, then you're not a child of God saved by grace. Like, you, you don't have a relationship with God the Father. And again, we see this in the scriptures all the way through. You do not have a relationship with God the Father unless it's through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the scriptures affirm. That Jesus is the only way. Can I get an amen? Uh, okay. Like, we're, we need to all be in agreement on this. Like, th- like, again, this is a foundational, basic, foundational doctrine to, to our beliefs. This is one of those things that we looked at the sports clips a minute ago. They didn't stick to the fundamentals and the basics. Like, the coach didn't teach them the dance. <laughs> He taught them, you secure the ball and you cross the goal line. And and so when it comes to these passages and when it comes to the person of Jesus, this is foundational and this is important. The good news of the gospel recognizes that Jesus is fully human and fully God. Now, when we talk about false teaching, which is essentially what's being addressed in this passage, we've got to keep our guard up. Yes, yes. We've got to, we've got to have those antenna up and, and be, be ready to talk about, well, here's what the Bible says about Jesus, this I know. But I do want to be really clear when I, when I say, in terms of false teaching, and I said this a moment ago, that there are a lot of things that we can disagree on. And so, especially for us, in our church background, in our church history, we've got to be cautious about drawing lines in the sand where they shouldn't be. In other, in other words, being very quick to say, well, you're a heretic. Well, we can't worship together. Don't call someone a heretic if he prefers to wear a beard but not include the mustache. See, I've got the mustache on my beard. And some people have the preference. I think we could probably fairly even say conviction to not have the mustache. Now, as I understand it in, in studying history... The military captains in Europe in the 16th century wore a mustache. And it almost became synonymous with and, and, and a sort of a, uh, a visual of uh, military involvement and the state. 
And so Anabaptists didn't want to imitate that. And so they, they had a conviction to be peacemakers. They said, well, that, we're, we don't want to be like those military captains, and so we're not going to grow hair on the upper lip. Okay, so here we are 500 years later, and we do still have those who have the preference or conviction not to have the mustache. Others obviously don't have a problem wearing the mustache, and here's what I'm saying is, this is not something that should divide us. This would be an example of like, hey, that you can wear it, and I'll not wear it, or I'll wear it, and you don't wear it. That's okay. You're my brother in Christ. We're not talking about a foundational uh, doctrinal issue. This would be a secondary, well, even that's probably a stretch. <laughs> this is trivial. When you start talking about issues of of your hairstyle, your clothing. Those are trivial. We don't divide over those things. We're not going to major on the minors. We're going to stay focused on Jesus. Why? Because that's what matters for eternity. We're going to stay focused on Jesus. Why? Because he's at the center of our faith. Paul has a teaching in Galatians chapter 1. I want to take us there in verses 8 and 9. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Whew, that's a strong word. Just after that, then he says, As we've already said, I'm going to say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. We've got to get Jesus right. It's a matter of eternal significance. And so John has a warning here for us. We're in the book of 2 John this morning. He has a warning for us about false teachers who are leading people away from the true Christ. And he urges them to hold fast. When it comes to Christ, we've got to be very wary of those who don't affirm Christ as the Messiah, fully God, fully man. That he shed his Actual, physical, tangible blood. His body was literally broken on the cross. His life laid down on our behalf. So maybe you begin to to realize how important this is. When you go, well, they, they don't think Jesus actually came in the flesh. Well, if he didn't come in the flesh, then he wasn't on the cross. And you and I are hopeless. This has huge implications for us. Now, this letter, this, this epistle, and I think Phil may have touched on this a week ago, but um, in verse 1 of 2 John, we see it's addressed to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Who is this woman? To whom was this letter written? Well, uh, in short, we don't know. We do have in some of the letters uh, very specific names and very specific people that they're written to. Well, this one is, this is sort of... Uh, a little mysterious here. Who is this chosen woman? In fact, scholars are divided and find themselves in one of two camps. Uh, either this is an actual physical person. This was a friend that John knew. He's writing to this woman. He calls her the chosen woman. Or this is written to a local church. And, and John is using this metaphor of a lady to talk about this local church. And, and so you begin to realize that the Bible does use that sort of imagery, talking about uh, the church as the bride of Christ. And so I think that that's possible. It could have been written to a local fellowship. It could have been written to a, a friend of John's. We don't know. I think either way, I think it doesn't matter <laughs> because I think either way that there is a good word for each and every one of us today, that there is a powerful message uh, that lies therein. So first of all, 
This passage helps us to reaffirm and to proclaim that Jesus came in the flesh. This is an important theological point. And this passage helps us to reaffirm and proclaim that. Again, it's elementary. It's simple. The second graders that are in the room are understanding this point. We hear it every year at Christmas. We've heard it from our earliest days in Sunday school. And yet it's important. And it's foundational. And I'll tell you why. Because we have a God who draws near. He's not aloof. He's not disconnected. He's not unconcerned. He's not callous and cold. He didn't just fix things, put them in motion, and then go on vacation. We have a God who has drawn near. And that's part of the good news of the gospel, that he cares about us, that he is intimately aware of the workings happening in our lives and in this beautiful world that he has created. He watches over us. Our God has drawn near. And nowhere is that made more clear than in the incarnation of Jesus. And we know, in fact, we talked about this just this past winter when we celebrated Christmas together, that the birth of Jesus fulfilled hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. It's how we know that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus coming in the flesh means that our God has paid the price for our sins. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. He went to the cross. Physically. His body broken. Flesh and blood. Pierced for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came in the flesh. And so as we, as we affirm that and proclaim that, and we believe that Jesus came, born of a virgin came as an infant, fully man, then it's a lot more believable when we begin to proclaim and affirm what the Scripture scripture teaches, that he's going to come again. You see, this is a foundational piece of our faith and our theology. If you take this away, then it's like, well, how is Jesus isn't going to come to earth. He didn't come the first time. He's not going to come the second time. These false teachers are undermining the truth of the gospel. Jesus came in the flesh. He did it once, we say, and he's going to do it again. The scriptures teach us that in the same way he left, he's going to come again. It's going to be visible. He's going to have the form of a man. God is unfolding his master plan of salvation, and he will surely return. Christ will return for his people. Jesus came in the flesh. If we want to hold fast to Christ, we proclaim that and we reaffirm that. We must also watch out for false teaching. Be on your guard, dear brothers and sisters, for bad theology, for wrong ideas, for things that are not true and do not align with what Scripture says. Again, when we talk about secondary issues, there's room for disagreement. We can can agree to disagree. Don't brand someone a heretic just because they're open to the possibility that aliens exist. Okay. (laughs) Aliens might exist. What about Jesus? (laughs) Don't make an issue of things that can be secondary issues that we can agree to disagree on. When it comes to Jesus, we embrace what the scriptures teach. Jesus himself warned us about false teachers. Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. Our Lord says... Watch out for false prophets 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are as ferocious as wolves. And by their fruit, you'll recognize them. This is a phrase that's uh, used in pop culture, is wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus is the one who came up with it. And he helps us here to know how will we recognize them, how will we know them, by their fruit. Because we can get a little bit, we can get a little bit fidgety when it comes to false teaching, right? Like, how do we actually know? Is this person on? Is this person off? I don't know. I have a weird feeling about this. Well, feelings are, God gave us feelings, but we don't go by our feelings. We go by what the scriptures teach. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What is the result of that individual's teaching? So that's a good question for us to ask. What is the result of their teaching? What impact does it have? The true gospel exalts Christ. First and foremost, over and over, time and time again, it exalts Christ. And then it, then it calls men and women to serve and love and follow him. That's the true gospel. Godly leaders are filled with the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They lead people in a way that infuses hope. And then you begin to see people who are challenged to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their neighbor as their self. That's godly, gospel-centered leadership. What about false teachers? Do, do they have the same fruit? Is that the same result, the, the same impact that comes? Or do they leave people confused? Like, what did that mean? What was that about? That's weird. False teachers oftentimes leave people Confused or hurting? You see, because a false teacher is often trying to gain worldly wealth or accolades. A false teacher is in it with the wrong motivation. A false teacher will take advantage of others. Of course, along with that, a false teacher will just try to speak that which itching ears want to hear. The feel good. And when you listen to it, you recognize it lacks spiritual substance. Like, the message of the cross and, and the Christian message is not, uh, like, be a good human. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. At the center of false teaching is not Christ, but self. Self is at the center of false teaching. Oftentimes, it's the false teacher... Uh, and their personality, like, look at me, I'm so great, look at my needs. But, but false teaching is also putting you at the center, the listener. You're intelligent. You're smart. You're good. You have abilities. Your happiness is paramount. What's the fruit? Jesus helps us to see that. What's, what's the fruit? Because if you are living for your own happiness, if that's your life's goal and pursuit, you will never find joy and fulfillment. If your pursuit is Christ, then you will have that abundant life. So beware of false teachers. What's the fruit? What's the result? What's the impact? Now, let's look at verse 10. We're in 2 John. He says, not to allow such people into your house. If anyone comes to you, he says, and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. So again, we've talked about how this might be written to a church. It might be written to an individual. Let's say, if indeed this letter was written to a church, then it could be rightly understood 
that these false teachers shouldn't be welcomed into that local. And of course, at that time, there were no church buildings. It was all house churches. Should not be welcomed into that local fellowship, that house church. Don't welcome him as a minister. Uh, don't give him, in other words, don't give him a platform. Don't take up the love offering. Don't say, well, we'll cover your lodging and your meals. And that's what these itinerant uh, teachers did of that day. They traveled to a local town and they asked the local church there, hey, can you put me up and feed me and give me money and, and allow me to teach and have influence? So if, if indeed this is written to the local church, I believe we can rightly understand John in verse, verse 10 to be saying here, don't uh, schedule them as the guest preacher and, and don't supply their needs and send them out the door with a blessing and, and a fistful of cash. So in verse 11, then he makes this clear. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. So that is a responsibility that falls on our shoulders. You've got to recognize the false teacher, and then you're not going to be party to what he's doing and what he's about. Now, it doesn't mean that we can use this passage to refuse hospitality to other people. You can't, you can't just, just kind of pluck out this, this verse and go, well, that person doesn't really fully agree with all I agree with, so I'm not going to be uh, sh- breaking bread with them. I'm not going to say they can stay at my house. Well, I, I don't think that that's a correct uh, interpretation of this. We should be extending hospitality. I don't think we should always refuse an unbeliever or even someone who has some different convictions than we do, I think this is a very specific warning not to support the ministry of false teachers. So that's, that's a right understanding of this passage. In fact, we're going to see next Sunday in 3 John, he encourages hospitality. He encourages opening your home and your heart and being generous with faithful Christian ministers. I, I played a game with my family this week. It's called Telestrations. Any of you ever done the Telestrations thing? Let, let me uh, explain. It's basically the old school game of telephone where you whisper the word around the circle, but it's done differently. It's done with little notepads and, and pens. And so what, what, the way the game works is you have a word that you begin with, and so you write the word down, and then the next person draws a picture of that word and passes it on. The next person's task is to look at the picture and write the word that they think goes with it. And the next person draws a picture based on that word and around the circle it goes. <laughs> um, and it's really fun. Uh, Adelaide, was it you that had toy poodle? Miri was reminding me about, we, we just laughed and laughed and laughed. Um, Adelaide has toy poodle on hers and it turns into tree monster with a pet, with a pet or something. Um, I was trying to draw a jack-in-the-box, <laughs> like as a classic toy. I'm doing, like, toy poodles. So I'm drawing this jack-in-the-box that apparently looked like some sort of tree monster. Um, <laughs> but but it, was, it was funny, and uh, it's kind of the way the game works. But I noticed through the course of playing this game, and we did several rounds, that uh, sometimes a person is tempted to sort of spice things up and intentionally steer the group off course. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> You know, instead of really trying to communicate exactly what it is, it's like, well, this is no fun if it just goes skateboard all the way around the circle, and we go, this is a skateboard. So uh, I, I noticed that there's, there's, you know, this temptation to sort of, uh, uh, let's, not, let's make sure, let's ensure that this isn't boring. Let's spice it up a little bit. And so I'm going to take a little artistic license. I'm going to make sure that this is going to end up, you know, kind of the the tree monster when it was toy poodle kind of thing. Um, they want those big laughs at the end of the, at the, end of the round. Um, they want it to be drastically different 
from the original, and so they begin to sort of manufacture that. Take it or leave it with the game illustrations, whether you think that's appropriate or not. The way it applies here this morning is to say, that's what false prophets do. They, they don't try to faithfully and accurately present Jesus, the Jesus that we know from Scripture. They don't try to faithfully communicate the truth of the gospel. They twist it. They distort it. They pervert it. The, the gospel, this good news of a faithful God who sent his one and only son with all of its beauty and all of its power, it doesn't need enhanced it doesn't need spiced up. It doesn't need their help to make it a little bit more appealing and relevant and attractive. But this is what false teachers do. It's like, well, we'll make this a little bit better. And so we, we want the big response and the big impact. And we're going to make we're going to make this gospel and these Bible stories and Bible passages kind of fit into our own preset ideas and worldview. And so what we get is an inaccurate and a dangerous teaching that comes from false teachers. Dangerous teaching on who is Jesus and how is one saved. Now, again, this letter might be written to a particular woman. Um, If that's the case, and John is writing this to a lady into her actual physical household, John's saying, no, 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 don't don't even answer the door. Don't let them into your home. I think there's, again, either, either way, there's a good challenge for us. Because what influences are we allowing into our home? You see the challenge there. Who are we allowing a presence and a voice, a seat at the table in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our minds? If we look closely at verse 7 when he is describing these deceivers... There's a phrase that jumps out where he says, they have gone out into the world. And what that means is that they were once in the church. That means they were once part of the fellowship. They were, they were part of the kingdom. They affirmed the truth of the gospel. They knew the truth of Jesus. But now he says, they've gone out. They've gone out into the world. They've adopted these heretical views about Jesus. And they're going out into the world and they're preaching a false gospel. No, you probably don't have uh, traveling false evangelists knocking at your door, asking to come in, asking for a bit of bread. But just a reminder, you have a say over what comes into your home. And maybe that's through the television. Maybe that's through the radio. You have a say over who's influencing you, over who's influencing your children. Be wise about what influence you allow in your home, in your mind, in your hearts, over your children. Be wise. And that really brings us to our final point this morning. We've talked about how Jesus has come in the flesh, and we've got to watch out for false teachers. To cling to Christ, we choose godly influences in our lives. We choose godly influences. There's just something that draws you together with other believers, other people who love Jesus. You need them. You enjoy time spent with them. You recognize each one of us has kind of our own unique role, and together we make up the body of Christ. Here's what the wisdom of Solomon tells us in Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers 
harm. And so pursue relationships with people that sharpen your faith, people that point you to Jesus, people that pray for you, that encourage you, that care for you, that lift you up, that in your time of need, when you're flat on your back and can't do what you need to do, they say, I got you. I'm coming over. People that will give you godly biblical counsel that will speak truth into your life. Choose wisely your friends. Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Only a foolish person would allow false teachers and people who don't rightly understand the gospel, people who don't, who don't fully love Jesus and know who he is and encourage them in that to speak into their lives. Do not be misled, Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's been said that if you want to know what kind of person you'll be a year from now, just look at your friends. Because that's who you'll be. Let's jump down to verse 12 and, and finish out this passage together. John says, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Because we're designed to be together. You know, watching an online worship service, it can be a helpful tool for getting biblical teaching, uh, getting information about upcoming events in the local church, kind of staying a little bit connected with what's happening. But it falls short on fellowship. It falls short on connections with others. So I want to be clear on this, that the live stream is not a substitute for serving together in the ministry of a local church. The live stream is no substitute. Now, believe me, because I was laid up over the past month, and I did my best to stay connected and plugged into our church family, of course, and I watched the live stream. And again, it's a, it's a helpful tool. And I, I, don't, I don't in any way want to disparage the fact that we, we stream our service, the fact that week in and week out we have volunteers who give their hard work and time and effort to do the live stream. We are blessed that we have that. Um, I see a lot of reasons why it's good to have a live stream. Uh, it allows friends to stay connected with us, even when they're not here geographically. Uh, it gives guests the chance to see what happens here before they visit us in person. Um, it serves those who are ill or shut in because then they can have that teaching. Uh, it's, help, it's flat out helpful when you're traveling or you're on vacation. So we see value in the live stream. We appreciate our volunteers who faithfully give their time and effort to make sure that that continues on. It's a valuable ministry. In no way do I want to disparage that or discourage our team who does that. I just want to be clear that it's no substitute for physically gathering together with the bride of Christ to be connected to one another and encouraged in your faith week in and week out. And so we do that. If and when we are able, we do that. We gather physically. I mean, if you're like me, you need encouragement from your church family. <laughs> you need people who are going to stand with you in difficult times, who are going to just keep pointing you back to Christ, keep pointing you back to the goodness of God, keep reminding you God is faithful and God will see you through. We have the gospel, and it's a treasure. I think when we begin to realize that, the treasure that we have in the gospel, that our lives begin to reflect the amount of worth that we place on Christ and on the truth of his word and the good news of the gospel, 
we find we're no longer distracted by the things of the world. Because my eyes are fixed on Jesus. We're consumed with love for Christ, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we're just bent on going out on mission, loving our neighbor as ourselves, sharing the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. And so what a great encouragement we have today. Hold fast to Christ. Cling to him. And you know what part of the good news of the gospel is? He will hold fast to you. <laughs> he will not let you go. So don't take your eyes off the prize. Don't fumble on the one yard line. Watch out for false teaching. Choose godly influences. Press on. Like John says there in verse 8, don't lose what you've worked for that you may be rewarded fully. What good news. That although we've all sinned, we've all done wrong, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, he forgives us and restores us and redeems us. That all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have hope of eternal salvation. Eternity spent with him in paradise. That's our reward. So trust him. Lean not on your own understanding. He's going to see you through. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We know, Lord, there are many times where it is challenging, where it convicts us that the truth of the gospel is not just happy news of all people spending eternity with you, but it's, it's hard and harsh news that we've messed up and gone astray and deserve eternal punishment in the flames of hell. So, Lord, your word and the truth of the gospel is not just all happy, happy, joy, joy, feel good. But we thank you that you come into our lives and bring conviction and truth. And so, Lord, we are relying fully on you. It's not our goodness, Lord. It's not our strength, oh God. It's our Savior. It's Jesus who came in the flesh, who shed his blood, physical, tangible blood, body broken on the tree by the power of God raised to life on the third day and who is coming again for his people. And so, Lord, thank you that you infuse us with hope and you send us out on mission together. God, would you help us to continue loving one another well, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ right here at MCA. And would you help us to be unified and laser-focused on you, Jesus at the center, with Jesus as our message and only Jesus as our hope. And so it's in his, in his name that we pray these things. Amen.